Chapter Twenty Two of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. New Departures. She talked fast, determined that her mother should have no chance to make comments until the plan was before her. I'm going to begin on a very small scale, out in some of the suburbs where rents are cheap. I'll rent a little speck of a room and a gas plate, or something of that kind, and make. First, I think I'll make some delightful cookies, such as will melt in your mouth. I've learned how, and I'll sell them for ten cents a dozen. When people find out how good they are, they will want dozens and dozens of them. Then I'll add tea cakes or velvet sponge cake, and by and by bread. Oh, I can make such beautiful bread! Of course, it will take time to work up a business, but I've talked with the teachers about it, and they say that it can be done. They think the time is ripe for just such efforts in a good many places. After a while, people will begin to say, How do you make such excellent bread? I wish our cook knew how to do it. Then I shall say, Send your cooks to me, or better still, your daughters, and I will teach them. In a little while, I shall have a nice class started. You see, I really have learned how to do a good many things. And the beauty of it is, I can go into the practice class in the university domestic science department and keep on learning all the while I am teaching. Of course, I haven't everything thought out yet, but I know enough about it to be sure that I can accomplish something. This was by no means the usual Josephine speaking with calm, judicial, and often semi sarcastic manner. She was simply an eager girl racing over her pauses and being anxious chiefly to keep back as long as possible the flood of dismayed opposition which she expected. She was unprepared for Mrs. Bradford's silence and almost overwhelmed by her first remark. I don't see why you need go to the suburbs or rent a room. Our kitchen is large enough for first experiments, and we have an excellent range, you know. It would be much easier to find customers among acquaintances, I should think. Why, mother! was Josephine's exclamation, and again, after a moment's pause, why, mother! in jubilant tones. You almost take my breath away. I expected to have to argue with you for a week and then not convince you. But you see, I felt that I had got to do something that might grow into a little help for father. The teachers here are so nice and kind, and they have given me ever so many hints. Do you really mean that you will let me work in the kitchen and talk about it to the girls and sell them things? What has happened? But Mrs. Bradford did not choose to tell what had happened. She was not certain that she could. Neither did she care to tell what she had heard one morning at the club about a girl in Ohio who did this very thing aided and abetted by her mother, and made of it a splendid success. She meant to help Josephine all she could, but it would be just as well for the child to discover it by her acts. Isabel stood on the side porch waiting for them to come up. I've been watching for you, was her greeting. I went over to the hall to meet you and then missed you after all. I came by a short cut. Mother, I want you to go to class with me this morning and meet the teacher. I told her I was going to bring you. She is lovely. Josephine laughed. You are being beset on all sides, she said gleefully. Go on, mother, and frivol with your youngest, 
while the staid oldest daughter remains at home and gets you up such a dinner that you will never want to go to a boarding-house again. Chautauqua Department of Health and Self-Expression, read Mrs. Bradford from the circular that Isabel thrust into her hand. Exercise that rests. I wonder what kind it can be. I'm sure I have exercise enough, but I must say I don't feel especially rested. Why in the world do you want me to go and look on at those idiots twisting their bodies into all sorts of shapes? Look at this one trying to reach her toes without tipping over. I must say I have no patience with women who make fools of themselves taking such exercises. It is bad enough for silly girls to waste their time and money in that way. However, she had turned from her doorway and was allowing the eager Isabel to pilot her down the avenue toward the school of expression. She continued to read as she walked, and to make comments. It is not the work we do, but the energy we waste when not working that exhausts us. Huh! Such as she knows about it! I never waste any energy. Yet perhaps there was never a woman who wasted more than did Mrs. Bradford. The trouble with her, as with many other, was that she did not know herself. She read on. Learn to relax, to let go physically and mentally, to untie the fuss and worry-knots. Yes, I wonder how. It's easy enough to talk. But the tone was less scornful. There was even a touch of wistfulness in it. The poor woman suspected that fuss and worry-knots were all over her face. Those words just described it. She had done so much fussing and worrying all her life, and it seemed necessary to continue doing it. How else were they to live? Isabel caught at the wistful tone and answered it. "'You wait, mother, she will tell you how. She says she has been doing it a good many years, and has rested more tired women than she can count.' But the pretty creature, who presently broke on their vision, arrayed in a perfect fitting white gown, with masses of beautiful hair arranged in graceful coils about a shapely head, with a glow of brilliant colour on cheeks and lips, with eyes that were bright with the joy of living, and tingling with energy to her very finger-tips, yet expressing ease and grace in every movement, looked too fair and glad a creature to know anything about real fatigue or worry. Mrs. Bradford's skepticism returned. She curled her lip and murmured, "'I wonder if that is the boasted teacher. She's too young to know how to teach anybody anything.' Isabel laughed. "'Just wait,' she said and it was a fact that as soon as the teacher began to talk, to explain, to answer with ready comprehension and sympathy the volley of questions poured at her, to move that supple body of hers that seemed to have no more weight in it than a cork, and did her instant bidding with an unfailing ease and grace, Mrs. Bradford discovered, what every member of the large class had done, that here was one body that was a willing servant, instead of a tyrant demanding from the jaded spirit impossibilities. It was impossible to imagine either lassitude or utter absolute fatigue in connection with her. Moreover, she could show others how to make aching muscles and throbbing nerves own a master. You want to learn how to get a good healthy tired that will make rest a joy and work that follows it a pleasure, she said brightly, as if that was a very ordinary lesson easily mastered. Mrs. Bradford, from listening with an air of endurance as one who had been smuggled in against her will, 
grew interested, grew absorbed in the genial flow of talk that was not a lecture nor a lesson, and yet was distinctly both. When she came to herself, and found herself standing with the others trying to reach her toes without tipping over, the precise effort that she had so sharply criticized, she did not know whether to be ashamed and indignant at somebody, or to laugh. But fun got the upper hand, and she joined in the hearty laugh that was going the rounds at the expense of them all. After that she forgot that it was a class and a lesson, and that she was a middle-aged woman with dignity to sustain. For a full half-hour she did that excellent thing for such women as she, forgot Mrs. Bradford entirely. "'Isn't she lovely?' Isabel began the moment they were on the street. "'She lives in New York, don't you think? Teaches there, you know. I can go right on with the lessons after we get home.' But this indiscreet remark brought one of the fuss-knots promptly back to Mrs. Bradford's face. "'You talk as though we were made of money,' she began sharply. But Isabel was serene and quick to speak. "'No, I don't, mother. I'm talking of a way to make some. That's the beauty of it all. She is going to recommend me and give me special lessons and all that. You should hear her praise your daughter, ma'am. You'd be proud of her.' I'm her star pupil, and she's going to help me get up a class of young girls in our neighborhood, and I'm to go out with her twice a week to one of the suburbs and help with a class of beginners. Oh, I know I can work it up. She says I can. She says I'm just the one. I'm going back home to earn my own living, not only, but to help earn yours and give you a chance to get rid of some of the worry-nots, mother. See if I don't." Mrs. Bradford laughed outright, a merry laugh such as she had not in years relaxed sufficiently to give. The comic side of this strange morning was getting possession of her. "'Between you and Josephine,' she said, "'I don't see that there will be anything for me to do hereafter but try to stand on one foot and swing the other and eat cookies.' "'Cookies?' repeated Isabel. "'Oh, has Josephine told you? And you don't mind?' You are willing for us both to take hold of this work and earn money by it? You darling mother! If we weren't on the street, I'd kiss you this minute. You can't think how we have wanted to do something to help you and father before you worked yourselves to death for us. We both felt disgraced to settle down at home and do nothing. We felt it for ever so long, but we couldn't plan anything to do that you were willing to hear us even mention." and so we just kept on being unhappy, and growing sharp and hateful sometimes, and not seeing any way out. But after we came here, it's in the air somehow, we knew that we couldn't live in that way any more, and we thought we should both have to go away from home and get work to do, so you wouldn't feel disgraced. But now these plans have come up, and we both feel sure we can carry them out, and you don't feel badly about it, do you?' You will be glad to have us doing things that will help others as well as ourselves, won't you? Doesn't it all look different to you? Oh, I know it does. I can see it in your face, and I'm just as happy as I can be. Josephine, said her sister in the privacy of their sleeping room that night, while Mrs. Bradford lingered in the kitchenette, what has happened to mother? I don't know, was the answer. Something has. She is different. But Eureka Harrison's day had no such triumph in its closing. The truth was that Eureka was having a succession of unsatisfactory days. 
all the more unsatisfactory, perhaps, because she believed that she understood the situation, and felt that there was nothing for it at present but to endure. Of Burnham Roberts she was seeing almost nothing, and understood the reason. Burnham was in the midst of one of his infatuations, the most pronounced of any since he and she became intimate friends, and his mother, who still had more influence over him than any other save Eureka herself, seemed to be blind and deaf. She had herself created the situation by bringing that girl to the hotel, where all sorts of intervals with her at all hours of the day were possible. Yet the mother seemed to be looking on serenely, even helping on the intimacy by removing from their path what could easily have been made into obstacles. It was unaccountable, unless she hoped by such management to help the young man to recover more rapidly from his absurd fancy, on the principle that familiarity breeds contempt. In that case she must know by this time that she was not succeeding. As for her own influence, Eureka instinctively drew herself up with a haughty gesture when she thought of it, and told herself that whatever happened she would not interfere. If Burnham had, before this, spoken to her the decisive word that would make their engagement formal, she would undertake to remind him that such glaring lapses into admiration of pretty faces were beneath his dignity, as well as insulting to her. But as matters now stood between them, it would simply be an added humiliation to appear to notice it at all. She could not even comfort herself with the thought of paying him in some way for all this humiliation when the ordeal was over, for she was tired of the position which she now occupied anxious to get through with it and begin to get used to being engaged. Therefore she realized that she would have to be nice to Burnham as soon as he gave her a chance, because he really had not yet forgiven her for that trying day at the lake and the horrid words she had spoken. It was entirely possible that those words were the cause of this present humiliation. Perhaps Burnham was simply taking revenge for having been called a dude and a coward." She could hardly blame him, only she would like to tell him that he ought to be man enough not to make that poor silly little girl his victim. Throughout her thought about it, Eureka kept her anxiety for the girl uppermost, despite the fact that she thought of her as a silly moth hovering around a dangerous light, she could not help seeing that the light was more to blame than the moth. Burnham openly and unhesitatingly sought the girl. He asked for her without a shade of embarrassment, followed the train when he found she was out with the children for a walk, or boldly planned a trip with them that as a matter of necessity included her. It is true that he had always given more or less attention to the children, and they were fond of him, so that his attentions to them seemed unusual to no one but Eureka. It was in the early afternoon of one of her dissatisfied days that Eureka, having let all the various members of her party go their several ways without her, wandered out by herself in search of relief. Her life had never seemed to her more inane and purposeless than it had been since that day when she called her problem settled because she had decided to marry Burnham Roberts and compel him to make the most of himself, while she gave her mother the life of luxury and freedom from sordid cares that she ought to have but whatever the future might bring to her of peace and the sense of well-doing, the transition period was certainly not pleasant. 
it took resolution to keep her from admitting to herself that she was tired of it all before it had begun. Her wanderings brought her, in due time, in the neighborhood of the hall, where a meeting of some sort was in progress, evidenced by a crowd. Moved by that natural impulse to try to get into a place that seems to be already over full, she elbowed and wedged her way back of the platform to one of the pillars, and leaning against it for support, determined to listen for a few minutes. A woman was talking. End of chapter 22